a great prayer and a great expectation. We have a God who will not let us go. A God who grabs us, who comes to us, who greets us, who calls us, convicts us, redeems us, saves us, and who holds on to us. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 as Chris read uh, just a, a moment ago. We are continuing our series on the champions of the church. Those who stand out in the text of the launch of the New Testament church when, when, when all of this transition was taking place from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, accomplished through the death of Christ on the cross and His shed blood that paid the penalty for our sins. He was laid in a tomb and He was raised from the dead. And Acts, every sermon in Acts, deals with the resurrection of Christ. The fact that He is God's Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way that we can know God, not simply know facts about God or know information about God, but know who God is, to have our sins forgiven and cleansed. And He is the promised one, the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. And this message was earth-shaking. By the way, it still is. It is the message that transforms and changes lives. And this message was certainly earth-shaking at this time, both to the Jew and the Gentile. And we've met this young man named Saul already. He is a champion of the church. We know him as Saul the missionary, who at one time was an enemy of Christ, an enemy of the church. He would seek out followers of the way, as the Christians were known at that time who had become saved under the preaching of Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem at the temple and Solomon's portico, those who are gathering together from house to house to study the word of God, to break bread together, to fellowship, those who are growing in their relationship. This one wanted to shut them down and stomp them out. He, went, he had permission from the Jewish leaders of the day to confiscate, confiscate, take away their belongings. How about that? Had, had permission to imprisoned them and to have them beaten men and women alike whole families and as we see not only in what happened with Stephen but in later testimony that he had the permission in in some circumstances to bring about their deaths to execute them he was an enemy of cross of the cross until he met Jesus I'm not going to review all of this we taught on it last week and I certainly encourage you to go back and listen to the more than the facts, the transformation that, that God took pl- that took place in Paul's conversion. How that Jesus came to him and met him on the road. How that Jesus pointed out his sin. How that Jesus saved him, regenerated him, uh, made him new, made him into something that he'd never been before. Lord, who are you, Lord? And then the demonstration of that change to his obedience to what Jesus had told him to do. The sinner... The enemy, the enemy of the cross, the enemy of Christ, the enemy of the gospel was now the son, the proponent, the missionary, the one, the one in whom everything had changed. And as we left him on the road in the ground with blinded eyes, unable to see last week, he did make his way to Damascus. And picking up in verse 8, uh, Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he was blinded when he saw Christ. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. We talked about that city and the meaning of that city last week. And for three days, three days, he was without sight and neither ate 
nor drank. Now here's what I want us to know about what we're seeing here. This is Saul the champion, Saul the apostle, Saul the bold one, Saul the one who would proclaim the gospel in the synagogues and it was not well received. He was Saul who would proclaim the gospel to the Greeks in Ephesus and the crowd would fill a stadium calling out for his blood. This was Saul the bold, but he's not bold here. He is Saul the newly converted, Saul the baby Christian, Saul the one who had just gotten saved, Saul the one who had trauma Radical trauma, life-changing experience when he saw Christ. He fell to the ground. He engaged in a conversation with Christ. This was, in many ways, a very unique experience. It only happened very occasionally in this manner through the testimonies that we have of other believers and other people who, who encountered God. And he was so radically transformed. That which he had been the enemy of, now he was part of. And those who had been his friends were now going to be his worst enemies. His theology changed. His worldview. Everything about his life was transformed in his encounter with Christ. Physically, of course, and he's blinded. He's taken by hand to Damascus. He ends up in the house of a man named Judas. And Judas's house is on the street called Straight. And by the way, it's the street called Straight, still there today, still in the city of Damascus. Uh, It it is still uh, a straight street. It was the only straight street in the city at the time, according to my studies. It ran from the east to the west all the way across town. And so while he is there, he doesn't look like a champion. He looks like a man who has been broken, looks like a man who who has had a dramatic, life-changing experience. Three days praying, three days communing with God, three days fasting. And God comes to another man. Now, our hero of the faith, even though we're studying the life of Saul, our hero today is one who is often an unsung hero. He's not a platform guy. He's not the guy who did a lot of writing and published. He's not a guy who's well-known. But there are some things about him that we need to grasp and that we need to understand For Paul to become the man that he was, the writer of 13 of the New Testament books, a missionary extraordinaire who in multiple mission trips planted many churches that then in turn planted many more. Saul who would witness to the Jews, particularly the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews that were outside of Jerusalem in their synagogues, but who was sent intentionally to be a missionary to the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, the the others who were in the world at the time, who were not part of the Jewish community. Saul, who was, or Paul, who was a mentor to preachers and teachers, a trainer and equipper of other missionaries. Paul, this one who suffered so much, who was stoned and beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned, who was shouted down by the crowds, who was criticized, who was mocked, who was stoned and left for dead. This Paul, who is often destitute and often lonely, and yet was always strengthened by God, would not have been that Paul had it not been for others that, Paul, that God brought into his life. And by the way, I'm just going to give you a little, a little qualifier. I'm going to call him both Saul and Paul until we get back through Acts chapter 13. In my mind, he's Paul the Apostle, but right now his name is Saul. This is his, the name that he's going by at this time. So don't be as confused by that as I am. Don't let me confuse you. Uh, Saul. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus, here's our real hero today, our unsung hero, 
whose name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord, let's just, let's just kind of walk through this. Number one, we have a man who is otherwise unmentioned in Scripture. He's mentioned here and he's mentioned in Acts chapter uh, 26 where Paul is giving his testimony. Uh, but other than that, he fades from the pages of Scripture and yet we know a few things about him, things that we can learn. He was a discipler. He was a learner. He was a follower of the way. It is possible that he had gotten saved in Jerusalem, and when the persecution that Saul started came, he was one of those who's fled, but it is more probable that he was a Jew, faithful, devout, worshiping Jew in Damascus long term. And then when those who fled the persecution came to Damascus and they proclaimed that they had found the Messiah, the one that God had promised, Jesus Christ, that he was one of those who believed and repented and became a follower of the way. Acts chapter 26, verse 12, when Paul is giving his testimony, here's how he describes this man. He says, and there was one Ananias a very devout man according to the law who was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. And he goes on to describe more detail about his encounter with Ananias. Another thing as a disciple we learn from this man is that the Lord said to him, disciples are learners, they're followers. There are those who followed the Lord Jesus Christ, who spend time in communion with him. There was no doubt that Ananias was one who spent time in the presence of his Savior. He's one who spent time communing with God in prayer. As a matter of fact, one of the things that is going to be easy for you to overlook if you don't really pay attention is the, the amount of prayer that's taking place. Paul, Saul, was three days without, without food, praying, devoting himself in prayer. Ananias had the pattern of prayer in his life. He was available for God to speak to him. And he replied. He spoke back to God. It's reminiscent of Samuel in the temple when he was a young boy being raised by Eli. Listen, let me just kind of bring this to the point that I believe that we need to gather from this text today. God wants to use you. You may not be the greatest missionary. You may not be the greatest preacher. But you have a role that God has assigned to you. God had a specific role that he gave to this man, Saul. And Saul wouldn't, in many ways, Saul was uniquely qualified and uniquely prepared by his life to this point. And then God redeems him and saves him and redirects his life using all of the equipping that he had had for a different task he now uses for the glory of God, empowered by the Spirit of God in his life. And he was a great instrument, but he was no greater an instrument than Ananias was. Different role, different scope, different responsibility, different impact, but a disciple, an instrument fit for the master's use. I don't know the scope of the roles of your life. I know we have fathers and mothers, and we have children. I know that we have those relationships. I know that we have people who own businesses, people who work in businesses, and supervise in, in, in different roles and responsibilities. I know we have people in different relationships, uh, some in volunteer capacities at different ministries and different services throughout the city of Greenville. I know that the, all of us have a scope, a role, an arena in which God has placed our life. 
God radically changed Saul's role. He radically redirected Saul. But he had Ananias right where he wanted him. And for Ananias to be a vessel fit for the master's use, by the way, that text of vessels fit for the master's use comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, something that Paul was later writing to one of his disciples. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and hay, or wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And that needs to be a description of all of us, instruments to be used by the master's hand. So I can become an instrument that God uses when I, like Ananias did, practice faithfulness in daily living. If you're following along with the outline, that would be the first thing that I would have you note down. You can become an instrument in the arena and the sphere that God has given you when you practice faithfulness in your daily living. The Christian walk is a life. It's a life lived as a pattern. It's day by day communing with God in prayer. It's day by day keeping accounts short. When I sin, when I stumble, when I fail, when I have that attitude, that thought, that behavior... I I am convicted of it and I acknowledge that it's sin. I confess. I agree with God. I repent. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I no longer walk after the flesh, but now I begin to walk after the Spirit. God, be glorified in me today. God, use me today. I present my members as instruments of righteousness. Romans chapter 6. As a follower of Christ... In some respects, as described in Scripture, even by Paul, a doulos, a slave, a bondservant. Father, here I am. Use me how you would use me, when you want to use me. I want to be ready today. I can't imagine anything much more frustrating than, wanting, than, than having in the back of your mind a desire to be useful, and then when you're called up, you're not prepared. Your lamps are not filled you're, you're not ready. And so there is this command we see repeated in Scripture to walk circumspectly, to be ready for when the Lord has that specific task for us by practicing faithfulness in our daily living. We've already mentioned that He had a prayer life you will find throughout Scripture the continual exhortation to be a person of prayer, to be listening to God, because God will give you instructions that are eternal instructions regarding character and regarding what is right and what is wrong. But there are also those directions. Our last verse in Vacation Bible School this past weekend, Saturday morning for us, but the fifth day of Vacation Bible School, the verse was Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. This faithfulness in daily living, God guides and He directs. We need to be sensitive to His leading and to His guiding. Ananias was. Ananias, got a job for you. I want you to go. 
verse 11. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus. He's being very specific. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Very clear instructions. Very clear guidance, step by step. Go to this street. Go to this house. Find this man. And so there's not any confusion. This Saul, who is from Tarsus, the Lord, but the command caused him to question the task. He's like, Lord, Saul of Tarsus, I'll be a little loose here with my interpretation. Saul of, Saul of Tarsus? I don't, I don't think so, right? This is the bad guy. I, I've heard his reputation. Saul of Tarsus has an arrest warrant for everybody who worships you. And Lord, in case you forgot, I'm one of those. And he's got a bad reputation. He is an evil man. He is a persecutor of the church. He is a persecutor of you. He has come here to lock up Christians. And Lord, I'm one of them. Are you sure? And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. He's got a reputation. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. He's a bad guy on every front. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. This is a risky venture you're asking me to do. And so the Lord reiterates his command and he gives him a little bit more information. But the Lord says to him, verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Just like I want you, Ananias, right now to be instrumental in my service, I have chosen Saul to be a different instrument in a different aspect of my service. He's going to be an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Can I just mention one other aspect of daily living? One other aspect of... uh, of what it means to be faithful in your daily life. It means having the attitude of humility. You're not the boss, God is. It means not demanding your way. It means, yes, it's okay sometimes to to question, God, what would you have me do? Why would you have me do this in this circumstance? Why would you have me connect with this person who I don't even like, who is a risk and a threat to me? And yet when God clearly tells you, clearly guides your path, Proverbs chapter 16, seek the Lord in all things. A man plans his steps, God directs his ways. When you are following the guidance of God, you can question and you can ask, but when that clarity comes, and as that clarity comes... The response is to be humble obedience. Use me how you would use me. Yes, is there a risk? I'm willing to take the risk. Do I understand? No, I don't understand. Like Ananias, you can become an instrument in God's hands when you are willing to trust 
even when it doesn't make sense. And again, that's the second thing I would have you write down. I am willing, I will be, God, I want to be willing to trust even when this flies in the face of common sense. Even when I think this is dangerous. Even when I think this is risky. Even when I feel I may be unequipped for this. It was back in the 1970s. I'm, a, I'm old. <laughs> My father was the pastor of a church in Jackson, Mississippi. Flag Chapel Baptist Church on Flag Chapel Drive between Jackson and Clinton. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the area. It was a small congregation. We had recently moved there from uh, from Boca Chitta, Mississippi, Moakes Creek, all these big metropolises you guys have heard me speak of before. But we moved to the big city of Jackson. We had a Wednesday night service where we were having a typical Wednesday Baptist business meeting. You guys ever been to a typical Wednesday Baptist business meeting? Does that resonate with anybody here? We were discussing something of great import. I'm not quite sure what it was, uh, but it was uh, something that was really, really significant. Something like what color we should paint the bus or what color the carpet should be. So that's tongue-in-cheek. This wasn't really important. But it was something that that was, uh, let's just say, volatile in the discussion. Have you guys ever been in a business meeting where there was volatile discussion? Tensions were running a little bit high, and uh, Dad stood up and he said, Listen, I think all of our decisions are important, but some of our decisions are far more important than others, and this one is not that important. It's not worth us losing fellowship over. It's not worth us being angry with one another. And so we're just going to stop, and we're going to pray, and we're going to pray till everybody gets happy. Denise Williams was sitting beside me in the back. I was a kid, granted, about 10, 10, 12 years old. uh, Yeah, 12, 13 years old. Denise Williams was two years older, and she was in many ways a a very good friend and a mentor. And she said, we're going to be here all night. (laughs) And Dad said, we're going to pray till we come to unity or till we decide that this really doesn't matter. And that we love each other more than we have to have our own way. And he said, I'm going to start. And Dad stood behind the pulpit and he began to pray. And he began to pray aloud. And I don't remember everything that he said, but I remember he started with submission. And then I remember that he talked about the importance of God's reputation. And he started quoting scriptures. And I, it was that night, or one of as a result of that night, that I memorized John thirteen thirty five. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And then after just a little bit of time, he quit praying and he said, now, you may pray aloud, you may pray quietly, but we're not leaving until we pray this out. We're not closing the meeting until we pray this out. And then someone over here stood up and they began to pray and they began to pray aloud. 
seeking God's will and bringing glory to God. And then someone on the other side of this issue stood up and they began to pray. And someone on the other side of this issue stood up and they began to pray. And what happened in that business meeting became very, very memorable. To me, as a young boy, it became very memorable. It became one of those stories that you tell in the history and the life of a church. There became people who had very strong opinions and very awkward situations. Or, or very, it was a very tense time that ultimately resulted in the body of Christ coming together. Now, did they agree on the color of the bus or the color of the carpet? I don't know that we ever got to complete agreement on that, but what we did do was we, de- we, we determined what was important and what was vital and that we weren't going to let little issues divide us from one another. The reason that I use that illustration, the reason that I recount that story is because when we are practicing faithfulness in our daily lives and we're willing to trust God and obey even when it doesn't make sense, He's going to take us to people that are different than us and that have different opinions than we do and that disagree with us. And it's going to be as radically opposed on the outside as Ananias, a devout Jew who is following Christ, and Saul of Tarsus who is persecuting and imprisoning Jews. And when God deals with someone who is so far away and He makes them new, the tendency for those of us who know Christ is to have a line drawn, to have a stereotype, to have something that says they are different than I am. They are an enemy and we do not receive them. We do not welcome them. We allow barriers to come between us and there should not be barriers between those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we make all kinds of barriers. We make barriers by how people dress, by which translation of the scripture they read. We make barriers that, that are, many, in many cases, superficial barriers where we're not willing to open our minds and open our eyes and open our hearts to see others as God sees them and to see, embrace them with the love of God and the truth of God as Ananias embraced Saul. Verse 17, Ananias departed, he obeyed, he trusted, even when it didn't make sense. And he laid hands on him. Now imagine how he wanted to lay hands on him. Here you are, who've been beating and imprisoning my friends and my brothers. Here you are, who have been maligning my Savior and my king, and now you are vulnerable, you are blind, you are weak, you haven't eaten in three days, you've experienced whatever trauma this has brought about in your life, and in many ways, you are in my hands. You are in my hands. But because I have heard from God that He wants you to be His instrument, Because I have heard from God that you saw him. He saw you on the road to Damascus. And that you're no longer the person that you need to be. By his testimony and by your testimony. In obedience to him. I'm not going to wring your neck. I'm going to lay my hands on you. I'm going to pray for you in obedience. And when he did, when Ananias did, God removed the scales from Paul's eyes, Saul's eyes. You were able to see now. And in this text, it tells us that the Spirit of God came on him, indwelled him. 
we have this transformation that comes because Ananias was willing to do that which seemingly didn't make sense. Acts chapter 22, where Paul is telling this testimony, which I started to read earlier. Let me go ahead and read again. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, Saul says, Paul says, he came to me, and standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul. That's got to be a win right there. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight, and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sin, calling on his name. And immediately something like the scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food and was strengthened. There was a lot that Ananias could have said to Saul. He could have said, you're a bad man. You're an evil man. You've beaten in prison and killed Jesus' followers. You've killed my brothers and sisters. You don't deserve this. You deserve eternal condemnation. You deserve the lake of fire. You deserve judgment. You deserve to be imprisoned yourself. You deserve to be beaten. You deserve God's vengeance. But, you get grace. You get grace. You get forgiveness that Jesus Christ paid for. You get brought into the family of God. You get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You get grace. And Ananias became not a vehicle of grace in the theological sense, but he became a channel of grace. Showing grace to one who didn't deserve it, which is what grace is, by the way. Our tendency in dealing with others is to make sure they recognize what they've done wrong. And we need to be cautious about that. Did you hear me? Our tendency is to say, yeah, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And we need to be cautious about that, especially when they have received grace. It's not to heap guilt, but it is to celebrate God's grace. I remember years ago, I read a comic. I don't know. Do y'all read comics, cartoons? Are you familiar with Calvin and Hobbes? Calvin had been outside, and he had lost Hobbes. And he was distraught. He felt terrible that he had lost Hobbes. And he's getting his mom and his dad, his mom sent his dad out in the yard with a flashlight at night to look for Hobbes. I don't know if you remember the comic strip or not. But Calvin is just completely devastated and his mother looks at him and says, well, if you wouldn't have taken him out there or if you'd have brought him in when you came in, you'd have him here now. And Calvin, in his little thought bubble says you never feel so bad that someone can't make you feel worse and we like to make people feel worse 
And yet to be an instrument used by God, faithful in our daily living, trusting and being obedient even when it doesn't make sense, means that we remain faithful to the Word of God, displaying the grace that God has displayed. God told in Ananias, I don't know where all that's coming from. We'll just assume it's the Lord getting our attention. How about that? God told Ananias, I've got a task for him. And I want you to help him get ready. Emphasize grace. And tell him what I'm telling you. This is what Paul's testimony said in Acts chapter 6. He came and he told me that God had a mission for me. God had already given a a vision to Paul that Ananias was going to come. God gave a vision to Ananias to go see Paul. He had a task. Not only did he not heap recrimination on Saul's hands, he also didn't coddle him either. He was faithful to the task. He was faithful to the truth. He didn't coddle him either. I love the way that Paul describes it. When Paul is talking about his testimony in Acts chapter 26, verse 16, Ananias speaking, Now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sin, calling upon his name. Ananias put him to the task. He didn't coddle him. He could have said, oh man, what a terrible experience you've had. You've been blind for three days. You haven't eaten. You've had all of this trauma. What you need is a vacation. And that's not what he said. He said what you need is to get up, be obedient, and be about the master's work. Like Ananias, I become an instrument in God's hand when I faithful, remain faithful to the Word of God, when I faithfully communicate the Word of God. When we looked at that passage about being an instrument in God's hand, it was in 2 Timothy. And at the first part of that, Paul has already told Timothy, listen, your role in this congregation is to make disciples. That what you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, the same commit to others also, the same teach to faithful men who will in turn teach others also. Four generations of faithfully teaching the Word of God. By the way, I do want to tell you about a typo or warn you. If you're going through the application questions, one of the application questions, I have second, I have, I think I wrote 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 where Paul is exhorting Timothy to be faithful and to be instant, in season, out of season, to make sure that he takes the Word of God and communicates it faithfully because people don't want to hear the truth. And we need to be those who faithfully proclaim the grace of God, the truth of God, the work of God, because it is the work of God, the Word of God, that changes hearts and lives. I want you to be an effective instrument Yesterday I got home, on the way home I was driving home, and all of a sudden my brakes started scraping. You guys know what brake pads sound against a rotor? And I wasn't happy, just to be honest with you. Like, Lord, this is not a good time. (laughs) But I went by the auto parts place and picked up brake pads, praying that the rotors were okay, and I went home. Went in the house and said, Suzanne, the brakes are bad. I'm going to have to change the brakes. At least the front brakes on the truck. We'll get to the back brakes later. But we'll get at least the front brakes changed on the truck today. And she said, well, good. I hate you have to do that. How long is it going to take? I said, well, this is about an hour job, which means it's probably going to take me a couple of hours. 
But we got out there and it took less than an hour. And the brakes work, by the way. Praise the Lord. I came in. She said, that was fast. You got that done pretty quick. And my response was, nothing beats having the right tool for the job. Had the right jack, had the right jack stands. Had a pneumatic impact wrench to remove the tires. Had the brake tools that were necessary and all the clamps. And they were all right there. And what could have been a horrible task became a simple one because of the right tools. Here's what I want you to know. God can do anything at any time with anybody. Okay? God is sovereign. He is supreme. He is providential. God moves and works and God does what he wills and he acts according to his own counsel. No man can question God with, with any sort of validity saying, why are you doing what you're doing? God knows what's best. God does what's best. Amen? He's completely and totally trustworthy. But here's the good news for you and I. We get to get in on that. God has a sphere of influence for you. God has a place for you to glorify Him and make His name known. So let's be the right tool for the job. Faithful in daily living, willing to trust even when it doesn't make sense. Staying true to the Word of God. That God be glorified in us. We're going to sing. So if you would stand I'll lead us in a word of prayer. And I would ask that you simply ask God to make you an instrument fit for the master's use. Father, thank you for this example of Ananias, one of the unsung heroes of the New Testament, one of the unsung heroes of the church, and how you used him to establish Saul, how you used him to affirm and confirm God's grace in his life how you had equipped him and how you desire to equip and use us for your glory. Father, be glorified in us today. We love you. We thank you for the privilege of being called yours. In your name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.